On the Pilot TV podcast this week, we're taking a feature-length look at the impact of COVID on a Merseyside care home with Jodie Comer and Stephen Graham in Channel 4's Help. Hopping back in time to see how Dwayne Johnson spent his formative years in Young Rock on Sky. Then finally getting a third term at Moordale Secondary in the long-anticipated return of Sex Education on Netflix. But that's not all, because while the embargo prevents us from reviewing the new season of The Morning Show this week, it doesn't stop us from talking about it, and Juliana Margulies joins us on the show later on to do just that. I'm James Dyer, and welcome to the Pilot TV Podcast, a show that will be heading back to the office this week for the first time in 18 months. All being well, we'll soon be back in the regular pod studio, calling each other bellends face-to-face and not having to stare at each other in little boxes on a screen, like some kind of hateful Brady Bunch. Uh, but joining me in their own little boxes this week, at least, are my two Pilot TV co-hosts. First up, a man who I like to think of as the Al to my Sam Beckett, guiding me through each show as I bumble through situations I'm woefully unprepared to deal with, attempting to put right what, frankly, I put wrong. Oh, Boyd. Oh, James. Also with us is a woman who, if I am to stretch this analogy, really, to breaking point, could be Ziggy the computer, but given her absolute contempt for the one episode of Battlestar Galactica I actually made her watch, I'm going to just call the evil leaper. It is Beth Webb. Hello, Beth. Hello. That was, um, yeah, I'll take that, honestly. Evil leaper. Evil Leaper Evil. Beth, yeah. are, you, uh, are you excited at the prospect of face-to-face recordings in an actual studio? I mean, if we have to. It's been the silver <laughs> lining of the, of the pandemic. It's been, no, I'm joking. I'm very excited. Very excited to be back in. You know, I love Camden. Who doesn't? Who doesn't love Camden? Um, well, anyone who's been there? <laughs> well, the question, of course, is which lanyard are you going to choose? Have you seen the lanyards? No. So when I went back to the about? office on a sort of a recce a while back, there was a, there were three trays in reception with little signs, and there were green lanyards, and it says, okay, with high fives and fist bumps. And then there were yellow lanyards that said, okay, we're talking, but not touching. And then there were red lanyards, which just said, I'm keeping my distance. Presumably the black ones that were like, I will literally rip your face off if you talk to me, were outside somewhere, which of course I will be wearing. Mm, but uh, I, I love this idea that we're now doing sort of traffic light signals, depending on how comfortable we are with you know, people invading our space. That was um, that was a party format at universities, wasn't it? If you were single or sort of curious or fully out there, wasn't it? Green wow. Flow. Do you think that's actually what they're going for? Maybe it was in sort of a roundabout way. Maybe Bauer's going to turn into some sort of uni foam party. Oh, my God. Gosh. With like the little cup. It was cups, wasn't it? Traffic light cups. That's what you're talking about, isn't it? Wasn't it the red cups? They used to, I remember this is an American thing, I think. You know they have those red cups in all the American yeah. shows? They always drink alcohol out of red cups. Yeah. I seem to recall watching something. Could have been a show. Could have been a film where it was traffic lights. And depending on your single status, you had yeah. a different coloured cup. That was it. So. I think it was in the in-betweeners or something oh, like that. Oh, maybe it was that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm, I don't know. It, something suitably like cringy and awful, but yeah, <laughs> lovely to see that seeping into the workplace. That lanyard observation is a good, that's a good um, little bit of uh, writing for the forthcoming TV adaptation of our lives, I think. <laughs> so, yeah, make a note of that. Just imagine the comedy of misunderstandings we can get up to with different coloured lanyards. So, yes, we will be returning to our lanyard regulated life uh, before long. Very much excited about this. I'm quite, I am looking forward to it. Just being back in an office, being back just in a studio. A having a lanyard. Yeah, just having, yeah. what am I going to hang from the lanyard, boy? What am I going to put on it? Um, yeah, well, 
I don't know, some kind of like Star Trekky thing. Like a tricorder. What was like your a... pull quote from that trailer? Was it just fuck off? Did you just have that pull quote from that trailer? Fuck off, James Dyer, and put it on a <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. What was that? What was that for? <laughs> that was my Saint Maud reaction oh, yeah, that they Saint used Maud. on the social media moment. It was just yeah. fuck me. That was my review of the film. <laughs> Just yeah. print that off, put it on a lanyard. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, anyone who's seen Saint Maud is actually fairly accurate. But uh, yeah, yeah, but, really but yes, something to do with June, some kind of June, a June you know, thing. Oh, perhaps like a thing. little, like a like a glossary card. Yes, uh, oh, God. a glossu recap. Yeah. See, that's a good oh. pun if anyone knows Dune. Uh, but uh, yeah, a little glossary card explaining what all the Dune terms are. Maybe I'll do that. I'm seeing June next week. I'm I'm quite excited now. Now that I've yeah, right, excellent. Yeah. It is yeah, excellent. We gave it five stars and it was very well deserved. Yeah, but we can't talk about June on this no. podcast because June is a film and we are all about the TV. And speaking of which, Boydie, what have you been watching this week? Well, I have to admit, as, as we're talking at 10.38am on Friday morning, that I did kind of have a long nap late last night and then so that I could wake up and watch the tennis. And I'm sure as a man who has his finger on the nub of all things sporting, popular culture, etc., you will know that Emma Raducanu, who's the 18-year-old British tennis player who won last night in a semi-final to reach the final of the US Open in absolutely extraordinary scenes, um, is still very uppermost in my mind because it was an absolutely brilliant uh, moment in, in, in history. History was made, James, and she is an absolute delight, um, a brilliantly impressive, lovable, likeable, hugely talented phenomenon. So as we speak, as this goes out on Monday, by this time, the, she'll have played in the final. She, she may have lost the final, which, which is on Saturday night, but who cares? She's made, made the final. That's never happened before to a teenage qualifier, as in she had to qualify to get into the tournament. I can see you're fascinated, James, but this is absolutely the first time it's ever happened. She's fucking 18 years old. It is extraordinary. So there's that. Yeah. This is an interesting thing. So like, so like, I'd watch maybe Parisi Squares if there was a tournament of that. If anyone remembers Star Trek and their generation, Parisi Squares, uh, or Pyramids, maybe from Battlestar Galactica, <laughs> those kind of games. Like, yeah. but I just fictional, I can't get into sport. Fictional pastimes. Fictional. Yeah, I can't get into sport. And yet, and yet, despite all that. When I'm watching Friday Night Lights, I find the game sequences so exhilarating. Right. Yes. I love it's the weird. game sequences. I get yeah. so into it. And I think it's because I'm so invested in the characters that seeing them perform in the game makes me excited about the game. Whereas, for example, if you put me in front of a football match, I don't know who the fuck these people are. I couldn't pick <laughs> any of them out of a lineup. So I'm not right. invested in the characters in an actual sport match. And I wonder if I, you know, for example, if your tennis players were on, say, C. You know, then yeah. would I be able yeah. to then go and watch watch yeah. the US Open and be like, oh, it's Bubba Voss. He's leading by seven sets. This is amazing. Yeah. You know, and I'd be yeah. really, really psyched about it. So, I mean, he's blind, so I'm not sure he'd do brilliantly, but, you know. Yeah, yeah he'd be tennis. in the Paralympics. He'd be in the Paralympics yeah. rather than, yeah. yeah, but but it could happen. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. That, I mean, basically, what happens for fans of, for people who engage in real life sport rather than fictional ones in, 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 in ludicrous science fiction series that you watch is that you get to know them. You do get to know them yeah. as characters yeah. in, in the soap opera of so it becomes whichever like a show. sport. So, yeah, right. So, Emma, Emma Raducanu, for example, we've seen that, you know, she gets interviewed before and after every, every, tennis mm. match that she plays and we've gotten to know her over the last few weeks she, she did well in Wimbledon as well not as well as she's doing now but but yeah it is an absolutely absolutely phenomenal and interestingly vaguely interesting in, in terms of what we're going to talk about later with the listener question the whole um, tournament has been on Amazon Prime 
um, which is Ooh. which is a bit odd and weird. And so the only place you can watch it is by um, by by subscribing to Amazon Prime, um, and that is, I think, an interesting development in the world of streaming TV services. That's my justification for mentioning it. <laughs> uh, it's also really what I was doing last night, watching it at three in the morning. It started at three in the morning, so you can imagine I'm fucking knackered. <laughs> but the other thing that I ended up watching this week, completely by chance, and by accident, just because I happened to be flicking around late night on BBC One, is Gossip Girl, which we... I watched the first episode this week. Yeah. Right. They, oh, that's interesting. Good, Beth. Because, yeah, yeah so if it's double, it's news. It's just been renewed yeah. for season two, which was announced this morning, and uh, by HBO Max. And we didn't get to review it on this show, and I can't. Did we? I can't even remember why we mentioned we had it. To, in part. We had to pick, and I think we had to choose. I think wasn't it was the same week right. as Vigil? I think, and it was oh, like okay. Vigil or Gossip Girl. Yeah. And we're like, well, right. come on. Well, yeah, fair enough. But <laughs> I was really um, pleasantly surprised because it's had some quite sniffy reviews in America. I read, um, but I think it's really funny. Um, yes. It's like a kind of almost like a guide to an encyclopedic guide to, in terms of sexuality, gender. Mm. And all of that, it's got like it covers the whole gamut of that and characters um, I- involved in all of that whole world. It's it's got the episode I watched had a really funny portrayal of an off Broadway pretentious play that involved a man running on naked um, and kind of interacting with the audience, and it was really funny and exactly the kind of thing that does happen in off Broadway plays in New York, having seen many of them. And um, I think it was daring. Like, this guy's naked. So it's, it's HBO Max. So it's kind of like, you know, as opposed to the original Gossip Girl, I think this time you've got nudity, swearing, sex, some quite, uh, and by the way, a sex scene, which I thought was extraordinarily um, not explicit, but kind of detailed, shall we say. And then a discussion about what they were doing in that sex scene. Anyway, um, it's also got loads of like pop culture references um, to quite kind of highbrow, mix of highbrow and lowbrow, like, the episode again I watched because it was about them putting on this plaid. Loads of references to various playwrights, and mm. um, it's it's just wasn't necessarily what I was expecting. And at the same time, it has you know it's got lavish um, New York Upper West Side locations and settings and buildings and apartments and interiors. So I really enjoyed it, and I and I am going to watch the rest. There's only six episodes um, so far. I think they're all on iPlayer, um, and 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 then there'll be more later this year and the second series season. But yeah. I, I was really into it. I watched the first half of the first episode of this one and was a bit... I think I got thrown because it begins with that very sort of tired tropes of like, you know, the awful elitist kids just being shitty to everyone. And I just thought, I just... Uh, <laughs> and I kind of turned it off. What was that noise? You just went... <laughs> <laughs> that's my that's my, that's my my critical yeah. appraisal of it. That's unpleasant. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, yeah, I quite like the original Gossip Girl way back when. I thought that was quite mm. decent. Um, but so you think... So you think actually this is, this is a better show than that one was? I think it feels to me wittier and more daring. Well, certainly more daring because um, it's yeah. allowed to be. Um, but what did you think, Beth? So you've watched some of it as well. Didn't you? Yeah, I mean the algorithm really, really just looked at my iPlayer and was like, "Yeah, this is this is Beth," <laughs> and just popped it top and centre. Um, and so I just watched the first episode so far. I think it's moved along with the times really well because I think if you look back, I know that the original Gossip Girl was very much a lockdown rewatch for a lot of people and raised a lot of eyebrows certainly about things like consent and um mm. there was a decent amount of emotional torture in it as well and i think <laughs> yeah it has certainly moved along with the times in that respect it's certainly pushed for representation in more interesting ways and then it's kept the things that made it great very aspirational aesthetics like a killer soundtrack and it's just good 
fun. It's smart. I mm. like the way that they've reinterpreted Gossip Girl for today without it being too uh, pretentious, I guess. Yeah. Now it's, it's uh, I mean, it's explained very early on that it's the teachers that become Gossip Girl. I love they brought back Kristen Bell as the voice because obviously she's, she's wonderful. So I'm glad mm. they've kept that little um, snippet of it. But yeah, I think it's moved along with the times really well. And uh, yeah, I, I'll, I'll catch a few more, I think. Yeah, the teachers, the teachers, that's really clever. The teachers gossiping about their students. Um, and yeah. of course, the, the, some of the teachers barely look older than the students anyway, due to <laughs> various issues of casting <laughs> and just the fact that probably realistically there are 20-something teachers in this situation in high school in, in, uh, in, in America. So yeah, it kind of makes sense. Yeah. But I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Good stuff. Anything else? Uh what else have I been watching? I started watching, literally off the back of Ben Travis' tweet last night, I started watching Married at First Sight in, in the UK. Ah, excellent. <laughs> God. Every now and then, every now and then, I will throw my weight behind a reality TV show, and I haven't done it in a while. So I've started watching that one uh, so far. And I think, is it the first, there's a first gay couple in it, which is exciting, and yeah. they seem like the strong winners already. So oh, really? I think I know who I'm backing. But yeah, that's good fun. Good to be invested in that. It's absolutely ludicrous and so far removed from reality, but in the best way. So yeah, that's me this week. Oh, excellent! I'm sure James will em- fully embrace Married at First Sight UK. Having yeah. looked into Married at First Sight Australia, famously, of course, I did. I did watch an episode of that. It was it was quite the experience. I'm actually in a really kind of stressful place at the moment, where and it is the most first world problem ever. I have so many shows that I'm desperate to see in my watch list, and not enough time to watch them in any given day that yeah. it's exhausting me. Um, I'm not even. I can't even. I mean, obviously, so I have. <laughs> almost all of these are embargoed so I can't even properly talk about them uh, I have seen more foundation trailers which is nice I was going to um, say here we go uh, <laughs> <laughs> they, they were great. James's um, clever avoidance of embargoes. <laughs> uh, I have I have been granted by by the God Flame the whole season of C now, so I couldn't possibly be in a happier place than I am right now. Um, the finale of Vigil has been provided as well, which is very, very oh, exciting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can't talk about that either. I watched all of The Morning Show. It's embargoed. Can't talk about that. No, no. So, do you know what I mean? I, I'm very excited <laughs> about these things. I'm just not really able to share it. Um, other than the fact that I am now, I think, six, maybe seven episodes off the very end of Friday Night Lights. So that, uh, that I'm managing oh, wow. to continue my rewatch in addition to everything else. Um, so yes, but that's, that's partly in preparation for next week's Midnight Mass, which I also have to watch, quite frankly. Uh, but obviously, Zach Guilford, a.k.a. Matt Saracen from Friday Night Lights, is the lead in Mike Flanagan's Midnight Mass. Oh, so I'd like yeah. to see that this horror show is going to be what happens after Matt leaves Dylan, Texas, leaves football behind, uh, and, and this is what happens to him next. So I'm, st- I'm seeing Midnight Mass as the sequel to Friday Night Lights for me. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. what we're the, doing. Forward to that. The embargo situation which you're trying to, which you're desperately <laughs> and slightly pathetically trying to avoid, <laughs> is so, it's particularly challenging when it comes to these Apple shows, isn't it? Because mm. they, they tend to be are not only release. embargoing... Um, like uh, streaming services, like for example, Netflix, often the whole series, eight, all, all eight parts or whatever, that Mike Flanagan thing will be embargoed to review at a certain date. And then they'll mm. arrive in it and we'll be able to review it. But because Apple shows arrive weekly, they don't, um, they don't let you binge on them. So they are, they are embargoing every episode of each of, each of these series till the day they come out. So it means that 
we can't really review a whole series of anything in no. terms of Apple. It's quite conf- it's quite difficult in a way. Um, yeah, personal it's, problems and everything. Yeah. But yeah, it um, is. It is. But it's it is true. I suppose it's yeah. It's I suppose because with a lot of places they would give you the episodes, they would drip feed them. Apple tend to give you the whole season, yeah. but then drip feed the embargoes. But right. you're right. But having them lift on the day it actually airs does make it quite difficult. <laughs> Yeah, I'm slightly yeah, exactly. So I'm I'm right I'm I'll come to I'm writing a re- Empire review of it of the morning show and I'm having to focus on the first two episodes because when Empire comes out only they will have gone out and, I, and I've seen the rest of it and I have to ignore the fact that I've seen the rest of it and try and pretend I haven't somehow. It's very very confusing. I mean also given the nature of let's say where the plot goes in that particular show right. the first two episodes yeah. don't help you very much. Um, I mean, yeah, that's challenging. It all kicks off, yeah. It's, it's interesting to me that they only released, was it the first six or eight Ted Lassos? And I think it's eight, the yeah. last yeah. two that we really need to get an overall. And we've never had the last two, which is no, interesting. They still the haven't turned two. up. And do you know what I mm. wish we had? Because I, I think I need some resolutions to some of these things. And that's <laughs> what I mean. It's interesting that we don't yeah. see, because it's left in a very interesting place. Mm. And it's raised some big questions that they're going to yeah. have to handle really well for these storylines to pay off but we haven't had the payoff and so we're sort of in limbo at the moment i i watched it all in like a week when i got those first episodes through yeah, it. i same. was left feeling quite yeah. stunned with what yeah. they've done and where they've gone yeah. and a bit like ah, i got i got told off by Amon because i got a little bit ratty about some of it and he said you know well we haven't seen it all yet we haven't seen the last two uh, but you're right. So but I mean, interestingly, the actual actors like nick Muhammad particularly yeah. keeps mentioning on twitter that we shouldn't come jump to any conclusions, yeah. but particularly about what his character's up gets up to, because mm. yeah. things will take resolved further on. Yeah, but he's failing the bell end test at the moment. Let me tell you that. Right. That but would clearly, hurt, man. clearly, that would hurt right. me a lot. I know. It's, yeah, that is that is. But I think it's fascinating that he's so aware, like hyper aware yeah. of the yeah. fact that people are like, but no, we don't want this to. We want this needs to resolve. He needs to sort this out. Blah 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 blah. blah. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Yeah. But yeah. did you guys find like I I genuinely really it sounds ridiculous I've really enjoyed the fact that uh, certainly a couple of the shows I won't talk about them specifically because again I'm not sure Apple would necessarily appreciate it but some of them are given to us in a very unfinished format and yeah, just, I, yeah. genuinely yeah. I thought it was yeah. it, it has given me a greater appreciation for these shows oh yeah um, green screen okay let's be honest it's morning show and Ted Lasso is what I'm talking about I won't talk about the specific <laughs> things but 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 seeing the amount of of post-production that goes into things. Like, I've mm. always wondered, like, you know, when someone picks up a phone, like in a TV show, and it's got, like, the name of the person on them, I'm like, how do they do that? Do they put a person's name in the address book and then they have, like, a production assistant yeah. call the phone when they go action? And but of course they don't. There's a green screen sticker on the phone and they just... So it's post-production. Like, yeah. it, it just is such a simple quality of life thing. It had never occurred to me they do stuff like that. And just watching sort of car scenes where, you know, you're like, oh, oh it is literally just a green screen. And I mean, of course it is a green screen. But somehow I just sometimes thought, well, maybe they do do stuff in actual cars on actual streets. How hard can that be? But it, yeah, I, I, I think, and I think this is something that I talked about with Lisa Joy actually on an interview when we were talking about Reminiscence on the Empire podcast. It's like 90% of all visual effects is stuff you just don't notice it's like in game yeah. of thrones it wasn't the dragons or the white walkers and stuff it was the fact that the buildings only go up five feet and then everything above that <laughs> is digitally created but you don't realize it or the sky's been changed or in the witcher where his sword is actually only like six inches long and the rest of the blade is digitally added afterwards so that he doesn't disembowel people when they're doing these fight sequences and it's just i have massive respect for these visual it effects always comes who, back to the witcher's sword for you doesn't it, it always comes back to the witcher's sword with me yes it does 100 percent. but genuinely like and, and in 
the morning show. Just I remember when we saw Mayor of Easttown, and I remember mm. some things. I would have sworn blind they were on location, and then it goes to a different angle, and she's literally sitting on a bench on a lot against the green screen, and you're like, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, maybe I, it's, I'm just naive, but you know it is interesting. But it slightly ruins it for me. I find it really, really disconcerting. Yeah, that that like yeah, in the morning show, there's loads of interior, there's loads of like interiors, and in that you think, oh, that's that is a location, and it's not, and it's a studio set, and it's yeah, there was loads of moments like that. Yeah. Um, I find it quite disconcerting. Yeah, I'd rather not know. I think I'd rather not know the machinations behind the scenes. I think I, I know what you mean. I think if it was sounds ridiculous, and I know I'm being cliched, but if it was C, I think I would, it would bug me a lot. Although I don't think C uses a lot of that stuff. It's very, very practical C, so perhaps it's right. But in real life. It's all real. Yeah. It's, it's not a TV show, boy. It's a documentary. Yeah. It's all real. Yeah. Um, like, because that would really pull me out of that world. Whereas I think with the morning show, it's because because it's about production of a TV show and something, something about I'm much more open to seeing how they're making this show within the show and the show itself. Um, but yes, anyway, I just I think that's fascinating, and I'm. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it a lot. Brilliant. Happy for you. Thanks. Thank you very much. Uh, well, <laughs> let's move on then, shall we? We're all happy this for week's James. We're good. So Be happy, happy for me. Um, let's move on to this week's listener question, which comes from Keith Leon, and he wishes to know, with more and more streaming services competing with each other, how do consumers watch it all, along with terrestrial TV, brackets, and sport? Talking to you, kid, uh, Boyd. Um, it is only going to get more crowded. Will the quality increase to match films? Which I think is a bit of a... I think right there, that's a bit of a sort of mistake. Because yeah. I would say that Some the quality absolutely matches yeah. films. Yeah. Supersedes. Supersedes, mm. I think. And the... supersedes in many instances. Yeah, yeah 100%. Yeah. In the same way that there are good shows and bad shows, there are good films and bad films. And, you know, I would put some of the best TV definitely up against some of the best films. I really would. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Can I just say that, intriguingly, this question arrived completely from you last night and um, is very interesting. I have this week been acting as a spokesperson for Now. You know the, the, the streaming service, formerly known as Now TV. Yeah. Because they did research about how much time people take to choose what to watch um, in this day and age with all of the options open to them, with, the more, with more TV content, to use that horrible word, than ever before. And basically yeah. they found out that, that people spend 100 hours of their lives deciding what to watch oh my now because God. It's so, there's so much stuff. So it is pertinent. It's a very pertinent question. And I think mm. I th well, what worries me, and what's really interesting is what worries me about the, 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 the huge variety and sh sheer number of, Plus, you know, so and so plus. In fact, there's a morning yeah. show. There's a live yeah. morning show. I can't remember which episode it's in, so I don't know if I'm breaking the embargo or not. Well, of course I am. About um, launching <laughs> launching streaming services, which is really funny considering it's on Apple TV Plus, a streaming service. So every single, like, certainly US network is now creating, has got, or is in the process of creating its own streaming service. It seems that Sky here are going to incorporate as many of those streaming services as they can into their platform. So that you just access it via SkyQ if you've got SkyQ. But what it does mean is we're paying. Well, I'm not, but normal people are paying a huge amount of money, way more than they used to, on on watching television if they want to keep up with all this stuff legally. If they don't want to illegally download it, obviously. Mm. And I think yeah. that isn't that we are in danger of creating a separate class of you know people rich enough um, with enough disposable income to splurge vast amounts of money every month on premium TV. And those who can't, and you, you, you have to kind of, you know, you have to be very much more selective about um, all of these services. So I think it is, I think it is a worry because there's no way they're all going to be consolidated into one 
or two or even three things. This is gonna, it's going to carry on like this for years and years and years. And who can afford in the real world? Who can afford that number of subscriptions on a monthly basis? It's, it's, mm. it is. I think it's a worry. Yeah, I yeah, think you're absolutely. right. I think that's a very legitimate concern because it's like you've got two barriers, haven't you? You've got first of all the time barrier that there just aren't enough hours in the day to watch a fraction of the stuff that's on TV. So it's like, well, what do you watch? If only there were an excellent uh, TV-focused podcast that could guide you through that particular decision. <laughs> uh, stay tuned for that one. Um, but but also, as you say, the the money thing because it it does get to the point where it's prohibitively expensive because i was talking to a friend of mine the other day and i was saying oh did you watch blah, blah, blah. i think we we're talking about sex education and she goes oh i don't have netflix and i was like what and he just like the thought of someone who what? doesn't have netflix i was like what's wrong with you like are you all right like it just seemed really odd but she's got sky but she doesn't have netflix because i guess she thinks because she shells out so much for sky she definitely doesn't want to pay for something else on top of it and that, that is an interesting decision that people make. Like, we always joke whenever we review a Stars Play uh, show that like, we're the only ones watching it. Mm. No one, because you have to pay on top of your Amazon subscription. You've got to pay extra yeah. for Stars Play. Yeah. And it's like, that's probably, if you are deciding which streaming services to subscribe to, that's probably not a priority unless you have a lot of disposable income. Because you've got, you know, well, I've got to have my Netflix. I've got to have my, my, my Amazon. I've got, you know, what else have I got? Like, Apple. I've got to have my Apple here. I've got to have this. Like, yeah. you know, and so much good stuff is now, is now on now or Sky, whichever. That you've got to have one of those like it, it, it's quite a, you know sophie's choice type situation it is exactly like sophie's choice we are <laughs> you're completely it's only gonna keep keep rising isn't it i mean some of the news this week is hbo max is coming to europe now isn't it so yeah. it's even expanding territorially not only if we've got things like paramount plus chucking money at new projects over in the u.s now in in a means of claiming at stake in these big streaming wars but it's now expanding globally i mean it is it is definitely going to cause a divide Th- things do make their way onto terrestrial and i play and things for example gossip girl which you know is a writer us which is hbo max yeah. but sometimes with a huge lag i mean i remember when mm. um the last season of pose they had this big wedding episode which was supposed to be this extraordinary thing for diversity and it was a real moment in the US where people got to see um, like a black trans woman getting married on TV for the first time and I remember feeling really put out that we didn't get to kind of experience that in the same way because there's such a lag I'm, I'm assuming because of rights I'm not too sure before it came to iPlayer uh, so sometimes they do kind of drip down into into regular tele viewing but yeah it is uh, it is definitely causing a device and and it is completely overwhelming you're completely right like Mm. and it's only going to keep expanding as as they continue to claim their stakes and and try and battle out for your attention but a hundred hours that is mortifying i mean seriously guys just watch the watch the expanse you're done i mean it's fine let me choose for you (laughs) well let's not go that far but yeah um i also think the point about um quality and you know versus films i mean you can get seven or eight films that come out every week now, um, you know, in, in a normal week, you know, forgetting the COVID era, et cetera. Yeah. You know, in a normal, you get, and, and, I, and I guarantee you that six of them often are, are not great, you know, to say the least. Whereas, you know, having, I watch pretty much every, at least every opening episode of every scripted show. And then you also get five or six of those most weeks. And the quality is generally much higher on average than I think it is in the case of film releases. And, mm. and, and so I actually think it has completely gone the other way. And I think, you know, yeah. you get some absolutely terrible, shocking, awful films come out, which are almost vanity <laughs> projects. Like, that happens a lot. So I'm fascinated by this, actually, that, you know, you can kind of somehow rustle up the money to get a feature made that's often, like, badly shot 
and kind of quite amateurish. Like particularly, I have to say, like I don't know, like random comedies, romantic comedies that are kind of basically rubbish, which would never make it that far to a TV screen. It seems like I feel like the quality control in the TV industry is much, much. And I think I guess it's something to do with that people do do kind of personal products and rustle up money somehow. You know, often over years, a period of time of years, and get to get films made. Whereas the process in TV in the in TV industry is kind of different. So it goes through more layers, I think. Of mm. you know, more, it goes through more. I guess there are more gatekeepers, and weirdly, in the world of TV, than there are in the way in the way. I'm not talking about huge, big, big budget films or even mid budget films. I'm talking about you get loads and loads of fairly low budget. Not very good, often features. Um, whereas that just doesn't happen in TV. But you're right, and we don't get that many mid-budget films because those kind of that staple yeah. of mid-budget '90s thrillers, which I used to love, like right. they've kind of fallen away. And you get like cheap films, and you get incredibly expensive films. And that mid-budget yeah. sort of territory seems to now be the the, TV, the yeah. sort of um, uh, jurisdiction of television. Yeah, uh, and this is why I think it's so great. Like, I like. I mean, also let's let's. Okay, I'm going to do it again. I'm sorry. Take a look at the Foundation trailer. I will tell you right oh, now me. that every trailer for Foundation <laughs> has. The budget louder. of a significantly <laughs> large film. Like <laughs> there is yeah. so much money on screen, I can't even tell you. The production values are like nothing you've ever seen from the trailer. And like to to, to for people to say, oh TV, you know, oh it's just kind of somehow low rent or low budget compared to it's insane to make a claim like that. Yeah. Even if you're holding it up against genuinely the likes of June, like it is up there on screen a hundred percent. Um yeah, and, and even something and I like Ted. Ted Lasso, which is, you know, a, 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 a comedy, is better shot. You're talking about the effects, the, the, mm. the green screen that we get to see in early <laughs> yes. previews. But it's more, it's more, the production values of that are much better than half of the films that come out. And trying, yeah. if the Apple TV show trying, you know, with Rafe Spool, about which is a rom-com, really, a kind of, you know, that would have been a kind of mediocre rock movie rom-com. It could have been, you know. Yeah. But it's actually a rather beautifully made and shot set in Camden weirdly showing the upside of Camden you know but yeah in general I, I think it's totally gone the other way yeah so I remember doing the like was I it was a press conference for Cracker remember when Cracker came back for the 9-11 episode and yeah. someone in the audience some absolute raging bellend asked Robbie Coltrane you know you know now that you've been in Harry Potter and you've got a movie career why are you going back to television mm. and he absolutely laid into this guy this oh, must have been what 2006 something like that yeah just tore him off a strip and was just like have you been watching tv have you seen the west wing have you seen the sopranos don't be an ass and you know he was right then and he's a hundred percent more right now and i think what yeah. it comes down to now is it's what how you like your storytelling so yes the big screen is amazing and the big screen experience does separate i guess from watching stuff in your living room but it comes down to like a film is like a perfectly crafted let's sequels aside sort of you know hour and a half two hours two and a half hour sort of bit of narrative that begins and it ends and it takes you somewhere and it brings you back and tv is that long form luxurious sort of deep dive storytelling which is the kind of like novels that i like to read whether in like, i don't like standalone novel if there aren't 18 sequels in a series i don't even want to know because you know when i meet these characters and i love these characters i don't want to let go of them and i think tv gives you like an intimate connection with characters in a way that film can't and i just think that is so valuable and it's when it's done well there's nothing else like it it's, it's transformative well yeah. i mean Look at Martin Scorsese is doing a TV show. Like that's where we are now. Like we've got not huge... a Marvel movie yet, but uh, <laughs> a TV show. <laughs> mm. It's only a maritime. It's not at all. But um, you've just got to look at. Do you remember? But it was so like celebrated when a, or it was so notable when a film director made the pivot to TV, and now it's such 
a normal transition that we don't even sort of notice it necessarily. You know, I mean, look at the North Water. That's a film, like a primarily a a feature filmmaker that's gone into that and done this extraordinary thing. You know, Spielberg's looking into TV. You've got these massive, massive names that have built an entire career on feature filmmaking. And some of the most prolific names in Hollywood are now making TV shows and it's not a big deal. And that is where the format is now. Like there's just no debate as to whether people can toggle between the two and it's an issue. And you still sometimes get people who will say, like they did this with Twin Peaks Return, didn't they? Well, you know, like it's in sight and sound fame so well. It's like how many episodes are there? 12, whatever it is. Well, it's really a 12 hour movie. It's 18 hours. It's an 18 hour movie. It's like, no, it's a TV series. You don't need to call it a long movie to imply that it's like, was, quality it's brilliant for what it is that was them wankily trying to justify to their <laughs> readers i was gonna say something really really awful that, to their readers that i am i like sight and sound by the way um but I, it was them trying to justify the fact that all that people all everyone wanted this as you say absolute this this multi-episode tv series to win the, the their annual poll of the best films but clearly it's not a film so they had to f- fucking re- justify allowing it in um, because it's clearly, of course, it was a, a, it was a, it was a serial, yeah, a, a, yeah. A, a, which, we should go the which, other way. Next time you see a great film, go, oh, it was brilliant. It was like a two-hour <laughs> TV series. It was incredible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. June, June is like That's, you know, yeah. June. Be like the yeah. first part of an June epic. is June, which is amazing. But to a certain extent, it actually is. It's two and a half hours, and it's the first half of the story. So to a certain extent, it is like the first half of a miniseries yeah. adapting Frank well, Herbert's Dune. So Denis, Denis Villeneuve and everyone involved didn't slightly regret the fact they didn't just do it as a TV series because then there wouldn't be this torturous question of whether it's going to do well enough to let them make the sequel. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is what David S. Goyer was saying when he adapted Foundation. Like, he was saying, you know, to try and adapt a narrative that takes place over a thousand years. (laughs) He's like, he literally, like, he's asked for eight seasons of this show, 80 episodes. That's 80 hours of Foundation. Oh, my God, please let me have 80 hours of Foundation. But, uh, but you know what I mean? To to tell a story, to do it justice, to tell the full story, you, you know, need time. And no one's asked cheats can deal with 80 hours in the cinema. Sorry. Um, I don't even know what the question was at this point, but I'm just going to assume that at some point we answered it. (laughs) Well, Keith, I hope that was helpful to you in some fashion. Uh, If you have a question for the Pilot TV podcast, please do send it to me uh, on Twitter at James C. Dyer or via DM to at Pilot TV pod, and I will pick it up there. Time now for this week's guest. Now, you may have met this particular person when she first appeared as Nurse Carol Hathaway in the pilot of ER, then almost certainly followed her exploits as Alicia Florrick on The Good Wife, uh, but Juliana Margulies joins the all-star cast of Apple's The Morning Show for its second season, and to say she makes a big impression which I, I'm not saying because it's embargoed, would be a massive understatement. Uh, this show drops on Apple this Friday, but Boyd sat down with Juliana ahead of the show's return to talk all things TMS. I have to say, when we were, me and my colleagues on the, our podcast were thinking about who we'd love to interview for the morning show season two, and we, we saw that you were having a, a big guest role. We thought, oh, this is going to be amazing because she's a TV legend. She's played two of the greatest roles in TV history. Then when we watched the series season two, you're even more spectacularly fascinating a character that you have. When you when you first heard about this character, what did you think of her? Well, first of all, thank you. I haven't seen it yet, so you you know a lot more oh. than me. Um, I was, uh, so uh, Carrie Aaron, who wrote the show, um, and she, they called and they said, we have this character, we, we would love to talk to you about her. Her name is Laura Peterson. And they explained to me who she was, this um, star 
uh, anchor at UBA who has her own one hour news show and how she's brought in to interview Alex and Bradley for their comeback moment um, and how she's sort of, um, she had given me this whole history about how um, she had been, Laura Peterson is a lesbian who had been outed in the late 90s and fired from a show like The Morning Show for being gay and how she walked through the fire to get back to her journalistic roots and to become the star she became and also to be completely confident in who she was as a human being. So she has, she's really the only character on the show that has no skeletons in her closet. She is um, exactly who she is when you meet her. And that is to throw her into this chaos and the insecurity of this firestorm that's happened on the set of the morning show and the chaos of Bradley, who's just a hot, wet mess, and the strange um, sort of secretive and also a little bit uh, of animosity towards her from Alex, the old friendships that she's had with Chip and with um, Corey, especially, who brings her in, who knows like she's the golden ticket that maybe can calm this all down. I really see Laura as the the one standing amidst the storm that's that's like literally whipping around her where she's sort of going, is that how you want to live your life? Is that comfortable? Yeah, she's got kind of a zen. She's got kind of a zen quality to her. Right? You're yeah. right. As, as everyone is being hysterical around her, she's very calm and she's very assured. It's, it's just formidable. She knows who she is, you know? Right. She knows who she is. Yeah. And she also knows what it was like to live in fear of someone knowing that she was gay. And once she overcomes that and doesn't give a shit, and is completely confident in who she is, she has no skin in the game. She's already there. I mean, what a privilege to play that in the midst of watching Alex literally melting down and Bradley, who I think she's fascinated by, and yet says to her very strongly, I don't want the chaos. And Bradley sees her more as a lifeboat, you know, like, Oh, I've been hanging on to all the people that make me crazy. Maybe I should go where it's calm. So it's it's really fun. It's it's a fun journey to be on with them. I thought it was very interesting that in in pretty much your first scene where we meet you in episode three, that Billy Crudup's character Corey says, "You put the L into LGBTQ." That's the first <laughs> thing he says to you, and I think that's a very clever little bit of writing there, where you're we, there's no messing about your L, and it's that's and right. it's fully established. That's right, and 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 it's important too because. Um, it's not played up a lot at all. Um, it's only played up, and this is where it's so interesting, when she had, it's only played up to try and disadvantage her and Bradley. And so you look at it and see, again, 20 years later, the same shit's happening. And there was a moment there where I, uh, we did a great scene, um, well, you've seen it, I haven't, so I don't know what was cut out or what wasn't, but um, Reese and I did a really moving scene where she's freaking out in her dressing room and I'm supposed, I'm trying to comfort her, Yeah, you know, and I had one line, this is how good the writing is. I had one line at the door where I'm just supposed, where I say to her, um, and by the way, it really sucks what happened. And I kept tearing up when I said it because I didn't want, that's not what I wanted my character to do at all. But saying those words, it felt it felt like someone had stabbed 
her all over again. And, and she had healed those wounds, but those wounds are always on the surface, you know? And so just by saying those lines, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. I don't quite remember what the exact lines were, but I kept saying, can you just give me a minute? And I, because I wanted to say them very strong, even though she really wanted to cry. That's a great scene, yeah. Yeah. How much How much fun is it, though, for you to have your, your big first scene is this big tete-a-tete you have with Jennifer Aniston's Alex, where you're interviewing her and you're bringing up these things that she doesn't want to bring up. That's such a, I mean, how much fun is that just to have a big, huge centerpiece one-on-one with Jennifer Aniston? So fun. Well, first of all, I mean, you know, you have to understand the history and I don't know if people know this, but Jen and I came out on television, literally on the same studio lot. One, we were one airplane hanger away from each other, shooting our shows, same night, Thursday night TV. Uh, and we were part of Musty TV, which I think was, I guess it was the golden age of television. They say like, that was the moment. I mean, now we're having a resurgence of that in a different way, but for network television, Jen and I came out at the gate exactly at the same time with the same amount of viewership. It was crazy. We were getting 40 million viewers a week. They were the number one sitcom. We were the number one drama every week for years. So then to be sitting there interviewing her 20 some odd years later, and both of us going, are you like, this is, this is crazy. If we had looked into a magic ball where we were sitting then to where we are now, never in a million years. So it was great. It was really fun. You must have done, I mean, as you said yourself, one of the joys of the show is its depiction of the egomania and the self-absorption and just the hysteria in American kind of, you know, showbiz TV and particularly breakfast TV. You must have done your fair share of loads of interviews on America. Have you witnessed that kind of behavior yourself? (laughs) Um, No, no, I can't. I can't say that I have, you know, because also when you're doing those interviews, they're all on their best behavior and you don't know what's going on behind the scenes at all. Um, I've only actually really had had good times on those shows, um, except that it's always way too early in the morning, you know, to get ready for them. Um, but but I but I always marvel at the camaraderie because, first of all, it's five days a week. And it really does start so early, you know, but I, I do know a few of those, those people and I'm friends with them. So I had the luxury, you know, I'm friends with Gail King. I'm friends with Katie Couric. You know, I had the luxury of asking them what it's really like. Um, my character happens to not be a morning show person. She's a nighttime person. Um, but she used to be, and I think she also holds that a little over Jennifer Aniston's head. It's not that she has any animosity towards her. She's past that but the competition must continue, right? Otherwise, what's the point? Like, aren't we all competitive? We all wanna do well in our field. Um, So that was kind of fun to play too, but I've never actually seen that in person, no. Right. Is it nice? You mentioned, you know, the the must the era of of network. You you had huge network TV shows, which which were both the two big ones. Incredible yeah. examples of ne- network TV risk taking. Is it very different to do an Apple show to do this streaming show? I guess apart from that, you can swear and you know maybe have yeah. more explicit sex scenes and stuff. Did you enjoy the difference? Yeah, I mean, I I, I honestly, you know, I've been so lucky with great writing um, on on two big network shows. But um, yeah, it, you know, I'll tell you what, where the difference is for me. It wasn't so much about being able to swear um, as it was that they have the time and the luxury 
of only doing 10 episodes. So there's no beating clock saying we need episode five. There's no filler episode because we're only doing 10. I always felt so bad for the writers on The Good Wife NER. They never had a break, right? They're always writing, 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 writing. I mean, we would get two-month hiatuses. They would only get three weeks to take a break. How can you keep coming up with new stuff? How can you refresh? How can you keep going? And with streaming, you do 10 episodes. I mean, I did the very last season of The Sopranos. I think I was in five or six episodes. And I used to joke with Michael Imperioli and James Gandolfini, I had done 160 episodes of ER. I hadn't done The Good Wife yet, but I've done 156 episodes of that. And I used to joke to them that their six seasons took 10 years to make. Yeah, right. Six seasons. And I don't even think they got to 40 episodes. And I had done six seasons and 156 episodes. Like that's a different, that is such a difference, you know, in, in between streaming and network. And uh, yeah. that's where um, I really, don't think I could ever do another network show after experiencing what it's like to have the luxury of time. Well, that's interesting. You've written your memoir. Would you like to create your own streaming show? You'd like to create your own write and maybe create your own um, idea if you, th if you thought of that? Uh, create my own show? Yeah. Um, that's an interesting question. It's so funny. Someone just said to me, why aren't you making your memoir into a movie? Well, and that, yeah. <laughs> um, there's so many great scenes in there. And I thought, oh, my God, it took me four years to write it. I don't think I want to live there anymore. <laughs> It's a lot of, a lot of work. Um, I do, I do love, I have to say, I miss the process of my morning ritual of writing every day. Um, but, uh, I don't know how I would be with dialogue. I've never tried it. Um, and I really think there's some beautiful writers out there that I would love to support and, and say their words. I mean, I miss Robert and Michelle King so much because I used to say, I love how Alicia answers every question. You know, I, I don't think I'm clever enough to do a show. I really don't. That's interesting. Did it, finally, did it remind you of how this show also taps into incredible topical ideas and news? I mean, the COVID coverage, it strikes me as a bit similar to how The Good Wife worked in that sense. Stories torn from the headlines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I think, so it's, it's such an interesting time, right? Because I think collectively as a world, we've gone through a really rough year and a half. Um, and I know at the end of the day, the only thing I want to watch right now is Ted Lasso. Yes. It's just, it makes me happy. Oh yeah. I Not mean, sure. yeah. So it makes my kid happy. My, we laugh, we go to bed with a smile on our face rather than feeling anxious. Um, there's so much anxiety in the world right now. And as someone who's in the entertainment industry, I actually just, you know, so I'm getting offers and things are coming in and I was having a a Zoom call with a net, with a with a streaming platform. I can't say who. And they said, "Well, what do you want to do?" And I said, "I don't want to limit myself by telling you what I want to do, but let me tell you what I don't want to do. I don't want to murder anyone. I don't want to solve a crime. I don't want to be raped. I don't want to be the victim. I don't want to be a doctor curing someone from something. I want." to entertain people. I want people to walk away feeling good in their heart because right now I feel like we all need a Ted Lasso in our lives. You know, we need to walk away feeling a little lighthearted. So, but that'll change with the times, right? Because yeah. everything does, but that's right now. I've, I'd like to stay a little, um, it can be on topic, but with humor. Maybe a guest role in Ted Lasso. Exactly. <laughs> 
Thank you so much, Julianne. It was great to meet you. Thank you. Such a pleasure. Thank you. Bye. That was Juliana Margulies, and now it's time for this week's news. And uh, I've set aside 40 to 50 minutes now, Beth, for us to talk about the new Picard trailer. Would you like to uh, begin? I'm going to take a nap, and uh, I will see you. I will see you on the other side. As are all our listeners. <laughs> everyone yeah. everyone leaves now. Yeah. I mean, look, February 22, it's date. It's got a date now. It's coming out February next year. We got a full trailer for it. And let me tell you, it's pretty fucking exciting. So we knew Q was in this. We've seen Q in the teaser, John Delancey. But we now know that Q has messed with the timeline. Oh, that that crazy Q. Uh, and turned the whole of the Federation, essentially, into Thatcherite Britain. So he turned it into a fascist dictatorship. They're all wearing this black uniform, little silver badges. Uh, and they now have to go back in time to fix that, it seems. And so we've got a bit sort of like Star Trek for the voyage home for Picard season two. Uh, wow. So they're going back in time to the contemporary era. Hence, hijinks ensue. It's actually quite a shrewd move, I think, with this, because famously, the voyage home was the most accessible of the Star Trek movies. And this stuff does... You know, anyone who feels alienated by the antics in the future, I think maybe we'll find it slightly more grounded, slightly more accessible. Like you guys, how did you feel about it? Did this give you the warmer fuzzies? Did the time travel aspect appeal to you? Or were you just like, absolutely not? I saw, I, I thought it looked quite, I thought, it, I mean, I, I enjoyed the first season. I thought it looked, it did look exciting. And I saw, I saw some people complaining on Twitter about the time travel thing and that, you know, that we shouldn't, it's getting bogged down in it and, it, and being annoyed by that. But it's not like, the original. I, I always go back to the original, as you know. Um, yeah. Uh, but the original is obviously fucking time travel all over the place. Um, it's one of the inherent things that I enjoyed yeah. about Star Trek right from the start. So I don't, I don't see why it should be such a issue. No, I know what you mean. I think for some people who like to exist in that era, in that world, maybe it sort of takes them away from like the really nerdy stuff, which, let's be honest, I do love. Uh, but, I, you know, for me, especially with Picard, like especially with Picard, much more so than with Discovery, I think I've talked about this before, I think Discovery's great, but I do think they have some characterization issues there where you don't I still don't know the names of everyone on the bridge of the Discovery, and that speaks volumes. Yeah, yeah. Whereas Picard is extremely character-led, and I think taking those characters, spending time with those characters is the joy of that show. You know, no spoilers, but Picard went through a pretty big transformation like last season, you know, and to see that transplanted into the modern era, I think that's fun. Yeah, there's a reason why The yeah. Voyage Home was the most popular Star Trek film. Like, it's fun. It's fun. Yeah, I agree with that completely. Uh, uh, Voyage Home is, uh, I love it. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. But um, what, isn't there more Star Trek? Because there's also Strange New Worlds as well, isn't there? There's, there's, yeah, yeah, what, there is um, indeed. That's the sort of that's bringing off. So uh, you remember that uh, Anson Mount, love Anson Mount, Colin Bohannon from uh, Hell on Wheels. So he he was uh, in charge of the old Enterprise as Captain Pike, uh, and he proved very very popular. So he and Rebecca Romain, who was number one, are now getting their own season because we we left them behind when Discovery went off into the future. We left him and his behind and the Enterprise behind, but now we're going to pick up with them. So again, that's great. That was fun. That was a really that was the best. I think he he was kind of the, the core of that second season of Discovery. So. Yeah, I'm excited about seeing that as well. Then we've got, obviously, we've got uh, Below Decks, which is the adult animation. We've also got now Prodigy, which is the um, the kind of kids animation one. So, yeah, they, I mean, there's a lot of Star Trek. Oh, I'm going to have to start caring about this that stuff, That is a fuckload of Star Trek. This... Yeah, I noticed you're conspicuously quiet. Just, best part, I don't know. You're all speaking Klingon. I don't know which one I'm going to have to start giving a shit. Okay. <laughs> all right. I mean, you don't. Babe. Don't worry about it. You do, you <laughs> which, just, is, you know. which is the one I it's have not to like... follow. To give me one to sort of hold on to and I'll, and I'll do it. So, Beth, just to be clear, are you <laughs> volunteering for a James-led induction I'll, into I'll the do, world of Star Trek? I'll do one. Because this is what's happening. I'll give you one. You do an <laughs> <I'll> episode. Do... <laughs> 
an episode we'll of Star Trek. We'll start with one. A single. Okay. So you're saying we have to pick one episode of a Star Trek from some point to try and explain to you yeah. why Yeah, do a good. segment that's like, go and watch a Star Trek. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Like so. So right. Let let's let's do this democratically. I'm going to say. I'm going to say. You, the people, should decide which episode of Star Trek Beth watches. So hashtag Star Trek for Beth. Please shut them out there and let's hear what you've got. Like I mean, okay. Look, maybe Deep Space Nine stands will be going for the search. Obviously, the next gen stands will be saying best of both worlds. Some of the original series, Boyd, I'm sure will have you know the one with the Gorn in there. <laughs> The arena, no. or whatever it's called. City on the Edge um, of Forever. City on the Edge of Forever, something like that. Uh, who knows? But let's see what we come up with, and we'll go majority rules, whoever votes. In fact, maybe we should do it as a poll. No, let's not think complicated. <laughs> so stick it out there. Hashtag Star Trek for Beth. You all remember what happened when she was Battlestar Galactica. together. That didn't go well. So let's see if we can turn ah, this one progress. around. Um, let's see what we come up with. Excellent. Well, Star Trek aside, we've had a couple of other trailers this week. The full trailer for Midnight Mass, which we will be reviewing, I think, embargoes permitting on next week's show, uh, which is quite exciting. What did you guys think of that? I didn't watch it, but I have started watching the actual show, embargoes aside. So, um, yeah, because I knew I I had, luckily, luckily for me, I have access to the whole fucking series. So Ah. I I, I didn't mention that in my what I've been watching because we'll be dealing with it next week. But already I am, I'm hooked already, is all I would say. So the irony is, of course, we're talking about the Midnight Mass trailer, but in this case, we're actually referring to the Midnight Mass trailer and not the quote-unquote trailer. Yes. yes. Uh, this is the actual trailer for Your the show. Your cunning trailer, in quotes. <laughs> quote-unquote. As you know, says on his podcast constantly. Um, yes, that is your way. I've started watching not the trailer, but the episodes, but can't talk about it because it's embargoed. Yes. Oh, this must be so irritating for listeners. Must it be fucking Ponzi, Ponzi TV. Sorry, Beth. <laughs> Irritating, <laughs> irritating, entitled wankers yeah. who get to we see everything early and and, and, and have to kind of oh oh yeah I would hate my I would hate me if I was listening to this. All so right, apologies. fine. Well, let's talk about something then that we can uh, talk about because none of us have actually seen it, which is Dexter New Blood, which also had a trailer, oh, yeah. a proper trailer. So I think yeah. we got a real feel for what that series is now going to be. Um, interesting it's interesting to see it's certainly and i won't give anything away for people who are avoiding the trailer but jennifer carpenter i think we all know is in it but her involvement uh is actually quite interesting in that uh there's also a surprise appearance from another character at the end of the trailer uh which uh yeah i i'm 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 here for this like, i i don't expect this to be like a massive dexter we're now gonna have dexter back in a life long term but revisiting dexter i think you know all this time after the series finished is i think actually a really really good thing um and i'm hoping that it will give us a nice sense of satisfied closure which we never got from the, final the famously famously disappointing final Quite, season, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah no, i'm really, really excited show. i'm really excited about the return of dexter i have to say mm. i feel like michael c hall is such a um smart kind of principled actor that i feel he wouldn't even get involved mm. in it if it wasn't going to be good. <laughs> That's my thing. I yeah. mean, obviously, he was in the last season, but, you know, I'm not sure <laughs> at that point he, he could do much. Whereas I feel like this reboot or whatever, this revival, I think is is really exciting. Can we, um, can we yeah. talk about the Gallows yeah. poll, which I'm very excited about? Shane Meadows, A24. Go for it. Reunited yeah. with of course. Tommy Turgis and Michael Socher uh, and Tom Burke. Absolutely cracking cast. Can't wait for that. Um, I think it's just a very early stages of development. Um, that looks like a very, very exciting collaboration. Looking forward to seeing where that goes. 
Terry um, will be watching that. I'm sure. Terry, yeah, you've quite rightly done done the Terry role of reminding <laughs> us all of the joy of, <laughs> of <laughs> that project. Uh, what has irritated me as a pedant is that people keep referring to this as his first, um, Shane Meadows' first period um, drama TV series film, whatever, when, of course, this is England. Mm -hmm. that was yeah. a period piece because it, it was set was. in the 80s and then up to 90 which is period because it wasn't you know it was it was a while ago so yeah that has annoyed me but generally but the project the cast Absolutely. fuck yeah i mean Absolutely. cannot wait yeah can we also mention james the ntas i'm sure you were watching last night <laughs> as you always do um the national I tv saw antor deck won an award yeah antor deck do you still not know <laughs> <laughs> which is which amazing <laughs> absolutely amazing um and um they the results though the reason why i particularly want to mention it is that the results the winners this year were really really good i think last year we talked about it on this podcast and we all talked about how shit the the results were and how unfair a lot of the and we had i think we had a from memory i think we had a pretty long chat about how well you know it's voted for by the public and, you know, they have their, you know, it's not a group of TV nerds in a, in a room in, in a hotel deciding what to win. It's not juries. It's, it is the only TV awards that is voted for by the But this year's winners, this is the first time. So I get, I've gone to, I think, every single NTA since it first started pretty much 20 years ago, roughly. Maybe missed one due to illness. I'm there every single fucking year, except this year, for various reasons. And, of course, the winner, the people who were there and the winners are much better than ever before. So Line of Duty won returning mm. drama. Um, it also won a special award, a special recognition award, in recognition of the whole extraordinary achievement of creating mm. all of those series of riveting television. Um, um, Jeb Mercurio was, was, was filming, so he couldn't be there, but it was amazing to see that. Um, Afterlife, Richard Jason's Afterlife won com in the comedy category, um, and he was there and was brilliant and, was, and funny, etc. It's a sin, yeah. won Best New Drama, Russell D. Davis, and that is amazing. that, I think, is the greatest single win in NCAA yeah. history. To get the public voting for such an edgy, you know, sexy, unbelievably um, uh, affecting emotionally show like that, to get that to win an NTA and to see, by the way, to see the brilliant clips of it that I showed on ITV about 8.40 in the evening, to see It's a Sin kind of like, you know, a bit of it uh, was just fantastic. So that was extraordinary. And Beat the Chasers, the single greatest TV quiz show of our time, <laughs> winning on quiz game shows, I'm sure you'll appreciate. So generally, it was just, it was really good stuff that won. And of course, I mean, oh, David Tennant won Best Drama Performance for Des, playing oh, Dennis Nielsen. Um, it was just an array, and he was there. It was an array of really good stuff. Amazing. There you go. Because like, I seem to recall we talked about this. It wouldn't have been last year, wouldn't it have been the year before when we had Sarah Phelps on. It was that right, the year before, episode yeah. that we did it. And it's like we'd all been, shall we say, a little bit elitist and sneery because Mrs. Brown's boys had mm. walked away with an award. Uh, yeah. I can't, what did it win? It won like a pretty won, big one, didn't it? Best comedy, the afterlife. Well, there you yeah, go. so afterlife yeah. has, has triumphed over Mrs. Brown's boys this time. And the, yeah. it, we were all just like, you know, it's, it's no flea bag. <laughs> There's none of these shows, but it was Mrs. Brown's boys. Uh, and Sarah quite rightly pointed out that we were being elitist twats and could we please stop it? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, but it's interesting that, that the the voting public have also now become elitist twats, and I'm here for that. So that's nice. Yeah, yeah. That's that's your that's your learning. That's your main yes, learning. Yes, that is my yeah. learning. <laughs> yeah, good to know. <laughs> it's taken a while, but they've caught up. <laughs> yeah, it's taken a while. The other thing I probably mentioned is there's. I know they've talked about this endlessly. So there's been some discussion to bring twenty four back. 
again. Oh, really? Oh, really? I didn't so miss this. we had 24, then we had oh. 24, you remember, the, the, the Live Another Day, and then we had 24 Legacy without Kiefer Sutherland, uh, which wasn't very good. But And they've discussed bringing this back endlessly. Uh, but apparently there are active discussions underway to bring 24 oh, back dear. to the screen. I don't know whether it's going to be Kiefer Sutherland or it's going to be someone else, whether they're just trying to keep the formula. It's kind of hard to say. But I will say, like, in defense of 24, like, when that show was on, not only was it kind of groundbreaking, but it was a phenomenal show. I mean, absolute nonsense a lot of the time, but also a phenomenal show when it was great. Um, yeah, it had, it had its ups and downs, but, oh, God, I loved it. So I, I'd be prepared to give it another go if they bring it back. But the last revival of it was, was, wasn't good, was it? Yeah, um, it, did, it didn't have the same no. appeal at all. I, you no. know, I mean, I think Kiefer Sutherland was somewhat magic when he first started playing Jack Bauer. There was something about mm. that character. Not that, you know, yeah. torturing absolutely everyone he met part of it, but, you know, uh, I, I think he was very good. So who knows? But anyway, that, that, may, that may return in Ooh. real time. And then this week we lost, very, very sadly, Michael K. Williams, uh, star of mm. uh, of many great shows. I mean, he's up for an Emmy this year for one. He's known best for Omar Little in The Wire. And I feel a little bit scammy sort of talking about this instantly because I have to put my hands and say, I haven't yet watched The Wire. Uh, so I am, yeah, wow. this is uh, this is me coming in just on on a feeling of immense sort of lost based on just the just the accounts of of people's time with him and testimonies to his character um and i think yeah a, a, an enormous loss gone far 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 too soon um in my eyes yeah he I, he was a, he was a great great actor i mean talking about the wire like playing omar in the wire omar for me was and is the standout from that show just there was something about the consistency of that character existing in his own world he was he was funny it was it was emotional it was touching his character art was you know when he exits that series it was the most shocking moment in the entire series uh still one of the best sequences is when he has to go on uh he has to go on as a witness and he gets money for a suit and he just gets the, he wears his jacket and he just gets his little yellow tie and just sticks it on over his over his like street jacket it's it's really really funny uh, he was great in that. Obviously, he played Chalky White in Boardwalk Empire. Uh, he turned up in he's The, the Night, Night Of. Yes, yeah. he was in Lovecraft Country. I mean, he was in When They See Us as well as Bobby McRae. Um, Yeah, I mean, he, he, a really, really great actor who I kind of was always surprised never, you know, broke out sort of any more than he did like i always thought he would be much much bigger than he was and i remember when you know when the early marvel movies came out an incredible hulk which is not a good film let's be honest but obviously it was teeing up a larger universe there's a scene at the end where hulk is fighting the abomination and michael k williams just wanders out of a kebab shop and just turns and sort of looks at them and then wanders away again and i got so <laughs> excited because i was like is he now going to become a big part of these marvel is like are they teeing him up is he going to be someone and sadly it never turned into anything but um yeah, great actor, terrible loss, and he was only fifty-four years old. Really, really tragic. Yeah, I think if you if you want one of these incredible testimonies to his character, uh, seek out Riz Ahmed's post about his loss, and there's a really, really wonderful uh, story about Michael P. Williams buying him this like beautiful, expensive coat, like the most expensive coat he could ever afford, and giving him this uh, completely unforgettable advice that's that's helped to shape his very very burgeoning career kind of moving forward so yeah i'd say definitely seek that out um if you can just to get to the crux of who he was as a person as well as a performer but yeah massive loss well 
Let's move on now then to this week's reviews. And first up this week, we have the triumphant return of Sex Education, Laurie Nunn's excellent Netflix comedy, which stars Emma Mackey and Asa Butterfield, among others, uh, as students at Moordale Secondary School, dubbed Sex School last season after the, shall we say, tentacle-based erotic stage production they put on. Uh, Will Otis and Maeve work out their differences? Will Isaac get his comeuppance for deleting the voicemail? What's going to happen with Eric and Adam? All will be revealed in season three. But, Beth, is season three as good as seasons one and two? I would say, James, it is marginally better. And that is saying a lot. I, I genuinely think this was... The best offering yet. I think they've really, really came, come into their stride, not only with the creative team, with the writers and directors, but the cast of performers are so well oiled at this stage. They're so self-aware. They're so powerful in their storylines. And I think where this show has really triumphed is in recognizing this ensemble and the talent mm. that they have in their midst. And what I think they've done really well with this series is kind of, there's still a, an abundance of storylines. You know, there's alien fetishes and, you know, interesting storylines with queer sex and emotional um, developments. But at the same time, this series has really given this cast some room to breathe and come out and get to do some really meaty, emotionally rich stories and and i think it's great i think it's great and i love this cast so much the tear count for this was a was a high tear <laughs> count to the degree where they released the trailer the other day for the third season i'd already seen it all at this stage and i still cried like i still cried <laughs> at it because it's so i'm so invested in the characters i've really had to try and and keep a measured distance when i was writing the review because i love them all so fiercely um yeah, I was I was so pleased with this series. I'm quite sad in a way because I feel like you can only get so much out of a high school show with this cast for for this many years because if I had it my way, it had gone forever. But um <laughs> I loved it. I loved it so much. Um standouts for me. I mean obviously Asa Butterfield and Emma Mackey there, the kind of will they won't they that's at the crux of the of the show, but the supporting cast is so strong at this stage that it's almost a shame when it kind of resorts back to the will they won't they again that's the only thing and you've got such interesting developments at this stage um you've got otis and adam so shooty gatwa and uh connor swindles uh two magnificent performers who again are really coming into their own um they get a really incredible storyline and and it's such an interesting premise as well where um adam he's He's coming to terms with his sexuality after growing up in an incredibly toxic uh, home like home environment and used to bully Otis. So now they're kind of working through their early stages of falling in love together, which is really interesting. Uh, Amy B. Woods' character, who reminds me so much of Terry, it's uncanny, um, but she <laughs> um, is dealing with the fallout from series two, which was a big development again for the show where she was, um, her character Amy was sexually assaulted on a bus. And that for me, that was when when the show began to shift. That's when it started to kind of open up to more uh, durable storytelling, I think as well. And so she's, she's dealing with the fallout there, but still maintains this incredible comedic, premise as well and I think this is what we need to keep in mind it's a funny show it's really funny um but doesn't sacrifice heart and and really emotional rich storytelling for doing that um 
So yeah, big rave review for me for this. I loved it. I agree with all of that. I think the MVP, though, of this third season is Jemima Kirk, who comes in as the new headmistress. Yeah. And it's a really, I mean, I don't want to spoil it, but um, let's just say you think she's going to be this ultra hip. You know, she's played by, there's a reason they've cast Jemima Kirk from from Girls as the new headmistress, in massive contrast to the previous one, played by Alastair Petrie, who was massively uptight. And you see more of him. He is still in the show. Yeah. But the more you see of him, that you see why he is so uptight and why he treated his son, played the Connor Swindell's character, so harshly. When you meet his brother, um, that was just fascinating, um, and played by Jason Isaacs. So Jemima Kirk is cast from Girls, and you think initially she's going to be super cool and trendy, and she kind of is in the opening and the opening episodes when we first meet in the way she deals with the with the pupils, and she kind of gets the head boy and and then then other kind of head girl on board. But and but as time goes on, she reveals her true self, and let's just say that kind of arc story arc i thought was brilliantly done having watched the whole fucking thing i think the way that plays out and the way that the pupils are kind of like almost um uh, um almost like a religious faith kind of they don't almost realize she's kind of taking over like almost invasion of the body snatchers yeah. the way her philosophy is life and her anti-sex shall we say, you know, she wants to change the reputation of the school that was known as the sex school. And she wants to reverse that. And the way she goes about it is quite extraordinary and powerful. And I think, and quite politically charged in a way. Yeah. Um, I thought that was fascinating, but you're right. In terms of the interrelationships, Shuti Gatwa and Connor Swindells as, as Eric and Adam, are, that is a brilliantly drawn relationship. Yeah. And the kind of, what I love about the show is that it doesn't take. It doesn't go down the obvious route. So you kind of expect certain certain bumps along the way in that relationship. But actually, the way it plays out is so clever and not really what you expect. Um, I thought it was fantastic. Connor Swindell. I mean, we know Shooting Gatwa is is a legend. I mean, he yes. is yeah. the, 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 the his vibrancy <laughs> is that word um, is astonishing. Oh, he's incredible. Yeah. But Connor Swindell is 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 so brilliant and and teasing out not only. The fact that he of his sexuality, but teasing out his whole masculinity and how yeah. and just being able to speak. There's a whole st- subplot about he cannot he cannot speak to people interrelate interrelates people whilst looking at them in the in their in the face. And that was such a brilliant observation. I think mm. he has to like yeah. turn around and then he can express himself. I thought that was so clever. That it's full of these brilliantly made observations about about people's psychology, about people's sexuality, etc., gender, and all of that. I think it's it, it's just a phenomenal show, and I agree. I think this again is the best season yet, but just because I don't think there's a weak storyline. I think in previous ones, I felt like sometimes there's one storyline that I think when they go into it, I think I'm not that bothered about that one, and I want to come carry on revert to I don't know, yeah, you know, shooty get to whatever. Whereas this time round, there wasn't one subplot or storyline. Or, or anything that even vaguely I was not interested in. I'm interested yeah. in all of them, all of the different interrelations, all of the burgeoning relationships, the alien sex one. So that's handled so, that's just fa- fascinating. Yeah, you wouldn't um, expect so, to be so emotionally invested in that no, necessarily, right. but that's just how like yeah. masterfully written, written it is. Um, yeah, 
And they even manage on the school trip episode, they even manage a quite broad bit of poo based <laughs> comedy. <laughs> they that do. would not they be do. which you know, which you see in the Betweeners or American yeah. Pie or whatever, but it's so brilliantly handled that even that ends up being quite moving in a weird way. They make way. it yeah. quite profound. It's yeah, they really do. Sweet. Yeah. It's really sweet. It's really clever, yeah. I mean what a show. It really is. Look, I am by no means the authority on comedies. I'm the first to admit it, but I do think this is genuinely one of the sharpest smartest best comedies on television for so many reasons not just because it's fucking funny but you love the characters you're so invested in them but it's the way it tells these stories and as as exactly as you said boy like they'll have a number of sort of like storylines going through all of them are sort of a grade level and I think what's interesting about this is it doesn't I mean it does deal with a lot of social issues but it's not preachy it's so casual in the way it presents fluid sexuality and it doesn't make a a meal out of it doesn't make a big deal it's just there's a a kind of an assumed acceptance of everything and it's one of these things where this is great entertainment it's obviously not aimed at kids exactly but there's something about this that you just think you know four kids growing up in a time trying to work out what their identity is people dealing with their sexuality people dealing with their gender identity in a time when I think as a society we're still feeling our way through these things and I think this show just accept everything and it presents it as so much as fact and it is so overwhelmingly sex positive which shouldn't be you know shocking given the title of it but it just it's effortlessly so Mm. and it makes you when you're watching it not feel that this is trying to push an agenda but making you feel you just have this sense of oh of course this is how it is of course this is it you just accept it roll with it and it's just beautiful and that's not even getting into the fact that as this show has become famous for, it starts with one of the most spectacular shag montages I have ever seen in my life and the best use of Tiffany's I Think We're Alone Now since the Umbrella Academy season one. Unbelievable stuff. That's not touching on the extraordinary a cappella rendition of Peach's Fuck the Pain Away, which, again, if I had a ringtone, it would 100% be that. Um, I I love it so much. It's so well written. It's so well performed. I am fascinated by the era of this show because again yeah. it's clearly contemporary they have mobile phones they talk about the internet and yet all the cars are from the 1980s yeah. like it's all re- the 90s like it's really really strange like it exists out of time and place and we've talked about this before how you know it's clearly it looks like this incredibly hogwarts-esque public school but they all wear casual clothes no uniform and it's clearly not a private school or is it a private school because they have funding yeah. i actually couldn't work out because you get more into the how the education series works and they talk about their funding so actually maybe it is a private school but again it's weird it's almost exists in its own parallel world yeah and then you have these other sort of sub worlds within it and as you say all the characters are fantastic uh, i think mave and amy's sort of really sweet almost <sighs> naive relationship is just lovely yeah cried, um, cried about. you know at one point someone refers to latin as elf language which had me properly <laughs> laughing out loud um and and the thing about this is it's called sex education it is a comedy but there's an element of that to it and i think in a world where for example due to the proliferation of pornography and how how sexualized i think young people are and their exposure to that stuff it is a shame that maybe a lot of people's sexual sexual education does come about through let's say porn and famously someone once said and if they didn't they should have done that learning how to have sex from watching porn is like learning how to drive from watching fast and furious five do you know what i mean like they are thematically related but it's not the same fucking thing and i think what this show actually does is it does tackle these issues i remember there's a whole thing on douching in season two which i found eye-opening because it had never even crossed my mind this stuff but genuinely i'd like it, it has 
actual practical stuff in there among the comedy it's well researched it's well written it feels very in touch with an era and a generation uh and i just think it deserves all all the plaudits in the world also they use yellows oh yeah which is a song that post ferris bueller does not get used enough so <laughs> props for that too oh wonderful i think as well i i like this and i wish more more creatives more shows did this it always strives for self-improvement so i feel like it's always looking at ways that it could improve representation cover things that haven't been covered before and and no more so with this series you know they've promoted secondary characters this time there's an amazing kind of queen bee called ruby who gets to she's sort of decoded in this um series and you find out more about her background uh george robinson who is isaac who is the wheelchair user in this gets to step up and have his own storyline as well we've got uh two non-binary characters in this as well and again never in a way that feels preachy or shoehorned in i can't stand things like you know moments of like forced feminism in films and tv yeah. but this it, it feels like they've just taken pause righted any wrongs that, that perhaps you know like the bullying the, the fact that adam used to bully eric you know that's addressed in this series as well it pauses it sees how it can do better it does that and i think that that is Again, something that shouldn't necessarily be called out and commended, but it is paving the way for television writing, especially for young people uh, in that way. So, yeah, love mm. it. Absolutely love it. 100%. And there's no, within the universe, like within the school, like homophobia like isn't a thing. Like everyone in the school is equally accepting of each other. Yeah. Like there's a wonderful moment where a character says, so you're gay now? He's like, yeah, I am a bit. Is that a problem? It's like, no, not at all. And it's all very, you know, which might be a bit on the nose, but I just love that this is such an inclusive TV show yeah. and that it's so good. But anyway, we won't talk about this for the rest of the show, but it is really, really good. I'm sure everyone listening to this has been watching Sex Education, has seen seasons one or two. If not, they are on Netflix now. Go and watch them immediately. And season three drops on Netflix on Friday, September the 17th. Watch it. Also this week... We have Help, a feature-length drama written by Jack Thorne, which stars Jodie Comer as a carer in a Merseyside care home, uh, a job that becomes significantly more hazardous when COVID hits and they're left with no equipment, little guidance, and extremely vulnerable residents. Boydie, tell us about this one. Well, the first thing to note about this is that uh, James didn't want us to review it, obviously, because... Because <laughs> it's um, a film. It is <laughs> no, a, no comment all, on Jack Thorne's work, it's just it's a film. <laughs> well, it's not a film, I mean, various reasons. First of all, it's a feature-length um, made-for-television drama slash film, but never, as I often point out on this show, never intended to be shown in the cinemas, absolutely made for television, so obviously open to review on a an, on a podcast all about quality television, because this is quality television to the max. But it is feature-length. It is a two-hour-long drama with adverts on on Channel 4, um, um, but it's but it's... It's not a feature film. It's a, it's a made for TV film, anyway. So obviously we're going to review it. And also, actually, you make a valid matter- point there because it is Thank structured you. around ad breaks. So yes. actually, it isn't structured Indeed. like a feature film at all. No, it is made it's not a for fucking that film. Yeah. It's exactly, exactly. Thank you, James. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and secondly, the subject matter. Now, let, I, I can't avoid using the word grim because this is a story set in a fictional Liverpool care home. Um, it's a. It stars Jodie Comer as a young care work, home worker. It's her first job in the care um, sector, and she gets it. And because and because she's kind of has a very. It's quite clear for, as soon as you meet her that she's a people person. To use that horrendous phrase, but that she can. You know, she's very natural with people, and she wants to do a job that where she's engaging with people and helping them. Um, and she meets in this care home a character played by Stephen Graham, who has 
young onset Alzheimer's. Um, you know, he's in his he's, he's late forties, um, but his mind is slowly deteriorating, and he 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 forgets why he's there. He goes on, you know, he'll kind of leave the home and he'll go on walks, which are a danger to himself. And they form a bond, but the whole backdrop to that relationship that relationship if you like is the kind of crux of the whole show how their friendship develops but the whole thing really is also a way for um jack thorne as you say who wrote it and the director mark munden who directed the third day in utopia among other brilliant shows to explore the reality of the covid era and particularly how it affected care homes and how that famous phrase that the then health secretary used that they were throwing their a, a protective ring or you know around care homes was such a fucking load of old shit <laughs> and this drama explores and i'm using words that are so cliche but unflinchingly it is the word what reality what life must have been like for the poor people who had to work in that sector work in care homes and for their and for the people they were looking after to suddenly have to deal with this virus whereby they have to isolate people, whereby their friends and relatives can visit them properly. There's all the whole thing about speaking outside the care home through the window. They, 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 there's moments like that. We see what the horror, really, of what the reality of getting COVID meant for people, someone in their mid to late 70s or whatever. And there's, a, there's one poor guy and the coughing and the lack of breathing. And we see all that and how it plays out and how desperate Jodie Comer's character is to help him and she can't. How she's left, literally left alone in the home at one mm. point, where the manager, the boss of the home, who who hires her, is ill, and she literally has to manage the whole thing situation. Of, and it's like a hellish scene that develops kind of halfway through, and then at the same time, this beaut kind of beautiful friendship develops between her and and and, and, um, and Stephen Graham's character, which reminded me a little bit of a show years ago that um, David Morrissey was in. And where it was one of the first things he ever did, and um, it was about a kind of um, burgeoning friendship of teenagers had with this guy, and they kind of just kind of li- almost tried to light out from society. Mm. And this David Morrissey drama was called One Summer, and it was one of my favourite things. It was kind of like it just it just in the tone of it, how how the latter stages of this drama slash film plays out. Um, that Jodie Comer's character knows she shouldn't really be doing what she does in terms of her, her friendship with Stephen Graham's character, but she does it anyway and hoping somehow, hope against hope that they can just do what they want to do. And that reminded me very much of One Summer, which is a brilliant, kind of a different story, but a brilliant, brilliant piece of TV. Anyway, the bottom line is, it is grim. It's it's difficult viewing. You can't, you can't avoid the fact that it's difficult to watch, but I, I would urge people to sit through it because in the end, there are moments of great beauty and and, and and it gets incredibly touching and moving. And of course, Jodie Comer and Stephen Graham, I mean, you couldn't w- want for two greater actors to play these roles. It's particularly brilliant to see Jodie Comer using her own Liverpudlian accent, yeah. which is very, very, she almost never gets to do in shows. Obviously, we know from Killing Eve uh, and all of that. So just to see her kind of doing a character that's clearly in, in some ways closer to her to her real self is fascinating. I thought this is an astonishing piece of work. And a partic- obviously, Jack Thorne is an absolute fucking genius anyway, and everything he does is brilliant. But I think the fact that it's directed by Mark Munden, who has this visual style that you will, that you will see, that you know, he, he did a brilliant job with the visuals from the third day in Utopia and the stuff he's done before. Mm-hmm. And he invests it with a real cinematic beauty often. Yeah. Um, and it knows how to every shot is kind of brilliantly brilliantly conceived to to emphasize whatever the story and whatever the characters are trying to say it's it's a brilliant piece of tv yeah 
Yeah, I'm going to jump in before James starts moaning about it. But uh, <laughs> I will agree that um, uh, I think the timing of this is quite, I don't know. I think people obviously navigated through this pandemic very differently. I think I personally went into kind of brace mode through the worst of it. I think you just kind of, some people just got the head down, got through it as best they could. And I don't think, speaking personally, I don't think, I've quite processed what's happened over the past year uh, fully. And I think it's going to be a long time before people do. So I think this coming out now and seeing uh, people talking through windows, seeing there's a, there's a scene where Jodie Comer's character, Sarah, is arguing very heatedly with her younger brother because her younger brother has been out, even though they've told him not to. And, you know, the impact of that, um, I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to really impact people to be so immediately taken back to that time um that said it is an important piece of storytelling it is it is a show with an agenda capital a capital a uh and in the wrong hands this could have so easily have just been you know a, a preachy hour and 45 minutes with two characters who are essentially vessels for their agenda but it's it's fail proof in its casting with Kaima and uh, Stephen Graham, whose whose relationship is the small but present light in this incredibly grim situation. Um, and I mean, Graham, we've we've probably said it on this show before. I'll say it readily: like one of one of our finest actors, like his ability to imbue a character who has a toughness to him outwardly, but has such vulnerability with ever making them seem inferior in any way is is such a skill and he does it so so wonderfully and what a range on that man as well considering we were talking about the north water last week and and the character yeah. he's playing in that like to then have this come out this week like masterful absolutely masterful and then with jodie comer as well i think it takes we, we're talking about her in this care home and this person people person as you say it it, it takes such a strength of character to be that kind of person, to be a person who shows up for other people in such a thankless job. And she had a lot to carry here. Like she had to carry so many people's stories, especially in this very tough time. And I think she does it just wonderfully. And the way that they've worked on that character, you know, she's got smudged mascara all over her face and, you know, she loves listening to pop music on the way in. So they really do try and again take measures to make sure these aren't just two vessels who are telling a very grim story and you know shining a light on this big social commentary um yeah i think i think it is a tough watch especially at this time but it is a necessary watch and and beautifully performed definitely grim is the word for this (laughs) grim is definitely the word I mean, it's it's not a fun watch, but no. it is a very affecting one. And I think you're exactly right. Like everyone's experience of the pandemic was very different. But I think, you know, for some of us, especially those of us who, I don't know, let's say watch TV and or films for a living, you know, we stayed at home. We watched a lot of screeners. You know, we maybe recorded podcasts and what like that. It wasn't the trial that I think a lot of people went through. And just watching this recreation of the kind of the front lines of dealing with COVID in a care home was a sobering uh, reminder that we were very, very lucky in the way we were able to weather this event, um, and just the horror of her having to deal without without any help with one 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 being overloaded. Can't call that. Can't call a GP's office. Mm. They're not around. Nine 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 don't have any ambulances. You know, and care homes were just largely ignored, and people were left to die there. Like the fact that she's 
you know, we talked about, I mean, it's become academic, isn't it? Oh, we talk about how the government giving their mates contracts to bring in all this PPE. What we actually forget is there was no PPE at the beginning of this. There's the part on this where she's literally put a bin liner over herself yeah. because she doesn't have any kind of uh, any kind of protective equipment whatsoever. She's in, you know, a hot housed home with people with COVID. Mm. Uh, and it's terrifying for her and people are dying and it's just emotionally grueling. And it is as close to hell on earth as I think you can probably imagine. So, so, you know, it's not a laugh a minute, let's be honest, but it's extremely, extremely well, I think, well acted, well written, just well conceived. And as Boyd said, beautifully shot, some stunning, extreme mm. close ups and the use of focus, like fine use of focus, mm. I really liked as well. Did you make it through all the way? Did you make it all the way through, James? I did make it through all the way. Ooh. Yes, I did. <laughs> I, I, I felt obliged to as well. And it's not that it was a chore, like it's actually, it's compelling. I, enjoyable isn't the word I would use, but it is compelling. Uh, and it's, you know, it, you can't really tear yourself away from it, I think, once mm. you've started watching it, to be honest. I mean, you're yeah, sure there are moments like I definitely am taking now all my subsequent interview techniques from Ian Hart. Uh, I yeah. think next time I implant <laughs> because I mean that was quite special. But um, but look, you know, it, it, it's really, really well done. And and I think I think the thing about this is all the writing and it feels very real. It's not overdone. It's not overly preachy. It doesn't feel. I think as you said, Beth, like this is it's not uh, like a vessel for a political agenda. I mean, sure, there's there's a commentary to this. He's not pulling any punches. He's very clear about what he thinks about all this. But they're not there just to drive home this. You know, didn't Boris Johnson make a hash of it? narrative like this is actually telling a character-led important story which just happens to be rooted in a very grim reality which we've only just emerged from um so while this may or may not be a film it is definitely definitely something worth watching uh and help uh airs on channel four on thursday september the 16th at 9 p.m finally this week we have Young Rock, a sitcom based on the early years of Dwayne The Rock Johnson and aired in the US back in February and be returning for a second season next year. Boydie, can you smell what The Rock is cooking? <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Um, I was looking forward to this show. I was thinking, you know, yeah, like a Wonder Years style thing looking at... Um, the Rock's childhood, and I like The Rock. Who doesn't like The Rock? I mean, who doesn't love exactly. Dwayne The Rock fucking Johnson? You know, I, I've yet to meet that person um, who doesn't find him a deeply likeable slash lovable um, fella. There's also, like, Everybody Hates Chris, you know, the Chris Rock show, which I really liked, um, mm. uh, which also looked at his childhood. So it feels like there are, you know, there's a template for this kind of show, which the premise of this, though, has a slight twist in that, it's set, it begins in 2032 when Dwayne The Rock Johnson is running as a candidate for the US presidential election. And that is, so that, I'm like, oh, that's fascinating. Like, that's the framing, framing um, device. And each episode revolves around him being interviewed, or uh, literally in this first episode, and I think in the second episode as well, or having a chat with other people, which then allows him to reminisce and remember moments from various sections of his upbringing. So you get to see him as a 10-year-old, played by Adrian Gru, as a 15-year-old, played by Bradley Constant, and as an 18 to 20-year-old, played by Uli Latukefu. And it kind of, and all of those eras are, it kind of flits between all those eras and that present day. I have to say, I was disappointed. 
Um, oh. It got really good. Uh, again, it got really good um, reviews in America, and people. I found it unbelievably unfunny. I didn't. I didn't. I was like, I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> Beth is uh, astonished, listeners. Um, <laughs> I just didn't. I just didn't find any of it funny at all. I found it pleasant and you know fine. But it's not really funny. It's like it's. I, I, I it's no wonder yours. It's no everybody hates Chris. It really isn't. Um, I think it doesn't stand up to those shows. Really, that those kind of the, the, it, it's you know. The, uh, I think the Wonder Years reboot's happening soon as well. Of course. Um, I just and I found like the whole device really clunky. Like him having to be interviewed, you know, in order for then the memories to come flooding back. I thought was a really clunky device. And I, and <laughs> the funniest bits actually are him are talking about why he's standing for president in 2032 and the jokes about, you know, he'll have been in, um, you know, jungle, whatever it is, 20, you know, by then. And he'll, have, you know, he'll have been working on all these different franchises will have been got moved on by 10, Fast and Furious 22 or whatever. That stuff was quite funny. I mean, but fairly obvious and not amazingly funny. But I didn't, I just didn't think the stories, certainly in this opening episode, um, that were being related from his shoulder were that, funny slash interesting i thought they're okay like stuff about the wrestling scene was okay but i thought when the kid kind of says oh it's all it's all contrived or planned anyway about wrestling you think i mean that I, that's not you know, i thought that was an entirely expected thing to be discussed it just didn't surprise me in any way whatsoever apart from the 2032 stuff <laughs> it didn't surprise me so i'd rather see the whole series just about him standing for election in 2032 that would be great. I'm kind of not that interested, particularly in the young versions of himself. I don't think they were, they just didn't, yeah, they didn't interest me enough. And, and I didn't think they were very, very funny. Sorry. Unfair. I mean, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't necessarily see this as a comedy, which is perhaps why I enjoyed oh. it a little bit more. <laughs> um, not that I saw it as like, help the, the rock years or whatever. But like, <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. I always, I always bristle at a biopic that's been made with, direct investment and or creative input from the person it's about which is very much what's happened here that said i do think this is a genius move from dwayne johnson because he's essentially saying like yeah i probably will go into politics one day i mean that's that's been in the cards forever he's he's saying through the show i'm probably going to go into politics i'm going to air my dirty laundry now on my watch and we're going to make it look really good so i feel like that's that's the the basis of this show and, and whatever it's is it Peacock that's put it out, ABC, Peacock maybe. NBC, NBC. NBC, yeah. sorry. They've just been like, yeah, take take all our money. Um, and so I think that's that's essentially what's happened here. But I found it really charming. I found it this really charming underdog story um, that's relayed, you know, between the back and forth. And I love the presidential stuff. So the person interviewing him is Randall Park, who um, was last in WandaVision, who's got this really... Um, sort of almost twitchy form of, of comedy, very sharp, very quick, very reactionary. Um, so they have this great rapport between each other. And then just through the flashbacks, I was I was quite interested in the wrestling. So it's to do with him being brought up by this uh, once famous, now fighting in flea market car parks, like former wrestler dad, who is is kind of a showman and kind of loved in his community, but but kind of a shit dad at times, you know, gives life lessons, but isn't really present. And then his mom is really grafting to make everyone happy and okay. And she's working as a cleaner. And then it's him kind of navigating through that, finding out who he is as a person, He's someone without very much money as well, which I think is, you know, he, he makes pretty uh, sharp commentary on that. 
and and making sure he makes the right choices. It does feel largely like presidential propaganda that looks really <laughs> good. But also, yeah, I found it really charming. I think he is just, I mean, he's he's just struck that balance so well as a performer. He's just the right amount of silly, just the right amount of sweet, just the right amount of sincere, all in one. He's he's a proper proper movie star. Um, which I think we're seeing, you know, with Jungle Cruise, that's definitely something they played in on in his his kind of dynamic. But yeah, I don't know. I, I didn't come in seeing this as an out and out comedy. I saw it with a slightly cynical view of it being like, yeah, this is this is someone who's going to go forward for president and is trying to shape his journey into this. But also just like quite a charming underdog story. Um, and I found it quite sweet. I think if I can be harsh, I think the only reason you don't see it as an out and sitcom is it's not funny enough. But I think it <laughs> yeah. is. I, I, honestly, I think in terms of its structure and genre, it's supposed to be an out and sitcom. <laughs> I have to say, I agree full-throatedly with everything Boyd said. I think yeah, this 100% it thinks it's a sitcom. It's just not funny. Um, and equally, like when, when it is Dwayne Johnson and Randall Park, Randall Park as Randall Park, which I, I continually name-checking, like, did I tell you I used to be an actor? You know, like, <laughs> Genuinely, he's brilliant. And maybe by <laughs> everything in this i think watching johnson and randall park tour was the high point of this show because johnson is so endlessly likable has such charisma it's just fun and every time we switched back to seeing his past play out i was just disappointed because i wanted i'd rather he just sat and talked about it you know yeah. i wanted him talking to randall park i wanted to see that interview of him recounting this stuff i didn't really want to see it play out i mean there are moments which are quite fun like it's a bit where obviously being like at the size he was, everyone assumed like he was an undercover cop, like it was a narc from 21 Jump Street. That's properly funny. And a bit where he's not allowed on the school bus because the guy, the bus driver just thinks he's a pervert, like not one of the kids. Like that's funny too. Um, and I, and I, you know, the wrestling, the sort of former wrestling fan of me just loved seeing these, these great actors they brought in to sort of play sort of classic wrestlers like Ric Flair and Andre the Giant I and the Iron Shake. Yeah. Like that was just brilliant. It's like the rock hanging out with Andre the Giant. Like that's really, really funny fun stuff but again like exactly what boyd said like the stories in the past they're not funny enough or to really carry it and it's just it's not that enjoyable and you just find yourself waiting for johnson to come back on screen like, oh brilliant okay now another anecdote and that's funny and then before you know it you've been whisked away again so i think it's one of these things where if they nailed the gags if they made this funny i think it might have worked but as it stands it just feels very, very inessential. And frankly, it's only use maybe in 10 years' time when The Rock does inevitably run for president. Uh, exactly as Beth says, he'll be able to say, oh, you know, when I used to shoplift, 100%. Hey, I made a TV show about that yeah. stuff. That's not a secret. Uh, maybe this is early campaign trail propaganda. Who knows? Um, but it has been renewed for a second season. I think the problem is is that much as we love Dwayne Johnson, he's not a comedian. He's not a like... I, don't, I think... I don't think... His best roles are necessarily where he's trying to be funny. He can be quite funny, but like I keep going back to everybody hates Chris. Chris Rock is a comedian, and I think that whole show worked because it's it's almost like the roots of his comedy are being you're you're being shown. Whereas the stuff that ha I think Dwayne Johnson is just a lovable guy, a, a great guy, you know, who happens to have got into shoplifting at one point for for kind of like you know, or just about justifiable reasons. And I think kind of episodes from his life of him being a nice guy is not intrinsically <laughs> funny. I just think the whole concept is kind of misguided. 
that that it, it, nothing intrinsically funny about him. Whereas there is something intrinsically funny about the characters in the Wonder Years and in Everybody Hates Chris, mm. which are better. <laughs> I think Johnson is a very good physical comedian, and I think what he excels at is physical comedy and deadpan comedy. He's not, as with Chris Rock, just a guy who tells good jokes yeah. and great stories. He's not a comedian, as no. you say. Uh, but like, if you look at him in something like the Jumanji films, he's properly hilarious. Yeah, that, right. Yeah, but that's as a part, physical comedian. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. But but yeah, I know anyway. what you mean. And and his life, I mean, I guess on paper, like his life is interesting. Born into a resting family, used to hang out with Andre the Giant. That's pretty <laughs> funny. But you know, I'm I'm interested in his, you know, WWE years and all that kind of stuff. But I I I, I yeah, I just I'm you know, maybe we'll get into more of that later on. Who knows? But yeah, it 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 certainly from the two episodes that I did watch, it didn't feel like I needed to watch a third. But this will be available on Sky Comedy and on Now uh, from Friday, September the 17th, when it begins at 8pm. What else is out this week, Boydie? Well, James, Alma's Not Normal, um, which we reviewed, I think, the pilot of, didn't we? Um, yes. Which we all, I think even you really liked, even though it was I did about like it, yeah. people with difficult lives in the North, um, which is obviously... <laughs> hard for you to cope with but it is <laughs> sophie Williams' show she writes it is and the series so the series arrives in four i think today on on the bbc iPlayer, and it airs on bbc2 at 10 o'clock i think but i've seen a lot of it and it is it lives up to that pilot she is a phenomenal talent this is a yeah. really really good show we should probably have reviewed it but it's fine let it go i'll let it go it's brilliant i was not normal um tonight yeah. bbc 10 o'clock all creatures great and small is back for its second season i have to be honest i hosted the launch of the show this week complete with actual dogs taking part in my <gasps> q a with I the cast beautiful little labrador with you great labrador oh, wholesome. Um, so wholesome. yeah did they have incisive questions they did i think they had possibly more incisive questions certainly than mine um i love all creatures <laughs> great and small it's a really genuinely and the real you know i i loved uh, everything about it it's a really i mean trying to avoid the word warm because that makes it sound kind of slightly feeble but it is it is like a bathing in warm bath where you've got cute animals you've got great romances that kind of you know will they won't they romance between um james terrier and helen alderson played by, played by rachel shenton everyone in it is great it's beautifully shot yorkshire dales what more could you want it's great or could you just great in small series two first day channel five <laughs> Nine o'clock. Um, and else? the morning show, of course. The morning which show, which Friday, we cannot review. <laughs> which we cannot review, but will <laughs> review next week. Uh, but that is essential viewing. Probably. Absolutely essential <laughs> viewing. Um, yes. Um, yes, I think those are the main things. I think that's the main stuff. Yeah. yeah. I think that's probably speaking it. So what is our pick of the week? Oh, sex education. Sex education. Yay. It is, yes. It's been far too long that I've been waiting for this third season. I got, I, I was getting very anxious when it didn't turn up at the beginning of the year, so very glad that we got it in the MBS. Sex education then, our pick of the week. Um, and I guess that's it for this episode of the Pilot TV Podcast. I'm just going to say, I see the numbers of the reviews on Apple Podcasts, and I also see <laughs> the vastly higher number of people who listen to the show, which means there is literally no excuse for the actual thousands of you who have not yet reviewed the show not to 
head on over there at some point this week and leave us a five-star rating. It is not that much to ask. Do not make me send Boyd around to your house. Um, you can <laughs> also, Boyd. speaking of Boyd, address <laughs> the grave injustice of Boyd having four times the followers than I do by uh, joining me on social media at James oh, Dyer. Geez. And indeed Beth at, at Beth K. Webb, seeing as you all follow at Boyd Hilton already. On next week's show, the embargo for the morning show will have lifted, so you get the full review of that one. Uh, not to mention Mike Flanagan's new horror Midnight Mass on Netflix, which I believe... I'm not checked the embargo on that, but I believe we should be able to review. Uh, and the adaptation of seminal comic series Why the Last Man, which lands on Star. And speaking of that, both showrunner Eliza Clark and star Ashley Romans will be stopping by the studio to talk about Why the Last Man as well. And that will be very exciting. Until then, though, pilot out. <laughs> <laughs>